Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. On, there you go, my fault. On roadblocks, challenges to the Christian life, and what we've begun to grasp that we already knew was that many of the roadblocks in our lives, things like pride, selfishness, guilt, unforgiveness, these are roadblocks that we've constructed, largely, and we refuse to let them be removed. And moreover, we are powerless to remove them ourselves. But God can. And when we allow God to remove these roadblocks, the world takes notice. They begin to look at a believer that just could be prideful but yet chooses to respond with humility. They see someone who has every reason to be filled with hate respond in love. They, have a, they see someone who could be selfish but just keeps giving. And they want to know why. Because they've tried the same thing. They know how impossible it seems. They know the same thing you and I do. It is impossible except through Jesus. And when they, after we live our life this way, after we model this, fathers, parents, employers, people begin to say, what's the difference with you? And then we're ready. The Bible says in 1 Peter, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Your modeled life will breed a response. And I don't think that I need to explain to you what a gentle response is. I could tell you probably three sermons in a row we could spend sitting here talking about what a gentle response is not. But when someone looks at us and says, what is the difference? We look at them and we say, it isn't us. It's because of Jesus. When we do that, the world begins to change. Our life begins to have purpose. I, uh, I loved playing football. Uh, you may not know that now by my physique, but yes, uh, there was a day that I was much shorter, weaker, and slower than I am right now, and uh, I played football during those times. Some people would say it was meteoric, I might say it was mediocre. Eighth grade was my second year to ever be able to play football. And I came out, and you maybe have played football in the past. If you haven't, there's a drill they used to do a lot more. They don't do it as much now, uh, called the Oklahoma drill. And they'd put two tackling pads to the side that limited your movement left and right, laterally. And you would have to go head on and you would do this typically the first practice with pads and a helmet, full pads, full contact. So everybody gets in a circle and they pick people and they, somebody has the ball and somebody's trying to tackle them. It's like everything a boy likes to do, right? And, and so they put a helmet on you and because now they've pretty much masked every small short person in eighth grade, they put tape on your helmet and they write your name. Hardy. And so coach can yell at you 
in the first person. You know, he doesn't have to say, hey, who are you? He can just say, hey, Hardy, do this, right? So this guy, Dennis, right, he had a mustache. He had a girlfriend in high school. I was like, man, if I was Dennis, retire right then. Dennis had achieved everything I thought was important in life. And he was huge, and he was fast, and he wasn't afraid to put his head in there. And so when Dennis got the ball, Dennis wouldn't be taken out. And Coach, is in, he's indignant. He was already a hot-tempered man. His face was always red. It's August, but now he's just screaming. And, and I knew what he wanted. He, says, he kept saying, does anybody understand what I'm saying? In the 90s, you could say a lot of other things at school then, apparently. And I said, I knew it. I was just waiting for somebody to do it, right? I said, surely, oh, he'll do it. And everybody was scared of Dennis, so when they went to tackle him, they were to the side of Dennis. Or they were trying to tackle Dennis around his head. Or they were trying to push Dennis. Now, Dennis was angry. So I said, he said, anybody, will anybody tackle this man the right way? I will, sir. Get in there. So I did it. Stuck my head down there. Put my arms, and I grabbed, and I, I think Dennis was tired, one, but I hit Dennis, and Dennis and I went sideways, not backwards, and coach, I thought he was mad. You know why I thought he was mad? Because he grabbed me by my face mask, and he yanked me up off the ground like this, and he's shaking me like this. And I said, he said, does anybody see what he did? Does anybody understand what, who did this? And the, the tackle was so hard that the tape flew off my helmet. It was all disheveled. And, and he said, who, who is this? Hardy, sir. That Har Hardy? Really? You're telling me Hardy can make a tackle like that and nobody else can? Thank you, coach. Appreciate it. But there was this thing, right, that sort of superseded what Coach had said in that story, is that there was a clear understanding of what was needed. But the truth is, I didn't raise my hand a lot sooner because I was afraid of what would happen if I did. See, I was just afraid that when I put my head in there, it might hurt. I was afraid that if I put my head in there, I would fail. I was afraid if I responded to what I'd been asked to do, what I clearly knew, that not that I didn't know what to do, it's that I wasn't sure what would happen if I did. And I think we all can grasp that. Because a lot of us, and today's roadblock does this, it gets us distracted about clarity. Because see, the fear of the unknown it's not an unknown of what we're supposed to do, it's the fear of what will happen when we do. But instead, because this is so diabolical, literally, we focus on is it the right thing to do when we mask the real fear, which is I'm afraid of what will happen when I do. And so the roadblock of the fear of the unknown stays in place because we're focused in the wrong direction. When you look inside of the scripture, we find clarity is never the issue. The question is never where, not one time, 
The question is, what if? And now we could go back, right? We could go to the beginning. We could go to Moses, right? We could say, this is how you need to live, but here's what you'll all say. Oh, Moses, must be nice, a burning bush. It must have been real clear. Hey, I could, I'd do anything God called me to do if there was a burning bush. Yeah, no, so, so we, Moses was effective. He's applicable here, but, we're, but we'll just discount it. And you can go to Abraham, Father Abraham, and here's what you'll say. Yeah, if I had a song written about me where people are doing hand motions, yeah, I'd do what God wanted me to do too. But, but Abraham left his land of his forefathers And he went, but as you follow the story of Abraham, you find real quick that Abraham began to fall into a trap that we all fall into, and it brings us to our big idea today, the contentment to accept the unknown is only possible through Jesus. Abraham... He, he left after a famine, but what we find is that Abraham was afraid that, the, that God may not handle his life the way he wanted him to, so Abram took some things into his own hands. Caused a pretty big problem for a whole nation. But there's someone in the scriptures that we can't deny. He's just a guy, he's an every man, he's an every woman. He just was living this Christian life, this new follower of this way of living, this, this movement. He's just doing it. And then one day he was called in to do something that could cost him everything. And while that scares us, it's everywhere we want to be. It's everything we want is to be useful, purposeful, and needed by God. But it requires not harder work, not a better personality. This is not a, hey guys, here's how you do it. Here's three easy steps. Yeah, you, some of you in here, you're afraid of every single thing. Some of you walked out today and just like, the groundhog, you saw your shadow, you went back in for like three more minutes. Some of you, you, people just know that, you're just a little more timid. Some of you are bold and fearless and you say whatever's needed and you do this. That's, this isn't about that. Today's not about, oh, your personality needs to change. No, I believe with all of my heart, and the Bible says it, that there are good works prepared for you to do, no matter, it doesn't say for type A's. No, it says, long before God prepared good works and then he prepared you. So we're walking into the truth here today that everyone in this room is all responsible. Deuteronomy 29, 29. It says there are mysteries about God that we'll never know. It says we're not responsible for those. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we, obey, we may obey all the terms of these instructions. That's Deuteronomy 29, 29. There's some things that you and I will never know. We'll never have the answer for. You'll never be able to answer. 
But there are some things that you and I know very clearly, crystal clear, and for those things we will be responsible to the very detail. So, it's new, it's early in the movement. If you have a copy of the scripture, you'll wanna follow along with us in the book of Acts. It'll also be on the screen, most of the scriptures that I'll read. I'll be talking and reading from the New Living Translation. Uh, I forgot my Bible at home, so I grabbed one of these out from under the chair, and I even wrote in it. It's okay. Um, But if you do not have a copy of the scripture, please know that it would bring no more joy to our hearts than possible. If you would grab it, take it home, and invest in this. Not as a guide to your life, but as a revelation of the Savior of the world who wrote this to you because he deeply, passionately loves you. And he wants you to understand how he feels, not about humankind, but about you. And that he is the answer for whatever you are in right now. So Acts chapter nine, it's towards the back section of the Bible. It's an account of the early days of the way, a movement of followers of Jesus. And, and things are happening, people are coming to know, but in everything that's good, there is an opposition moving as equally, or at least attempting to be as destructive. And there's a man named Saul, who we call Paul, who is on fire the wrong way. He's ready. The Bible says that he is breathing out murderous threats. He's getting everybody on board. He's ready to do this evil deed in killing those, arresting them, bringing them back to Jerusalem. And he has the right to do that in a city, town, village called Damascus. And he's headed that way. And on that way, while he feels so right, he encounters the reality of Jesus. He encounters the reality, the power, and the glory of God through Christ incarnate. And there's this stairwell, and he looks up, and there's these words, and he doesn't know what's going on, but when it's over, he's blind. And they usher him off to this house, and he's just fasting and praying. He doesn't know what to do. He's going back to all the way to his Jewish heritage. He's like fasting. He's praying. He's got everybody with him doing the same thing. They're in turmoil. And everybody that's with him thinks he's crazy. But then you and I come in. See, you and I are the next part of this because the unknown the question we have regarding what we should do is not what to do it's if we do it what will happen what about our lives what about this thing that we've constructed because what we're really saying is we've created this kingdom here and we kind of like it and I'll hold on to it, and I'll just keep it where it is, and God, I'll tell you what we need. You could be an advisor. Yes, you're right, God, I should remove some profanity from my language, thank you, God. God, you're right, I should clean up a little bit uh, with the way I'm eating. No, that's not what God, yes, he cares about your health, and he cares about the way you talk, 
but he cares more deeply that you will submit what you want to him and do what he wants. And that's called contentment. I'm willing, God, to be satisfied with what you give me rather than this picture I drew up. And there's a man that's in the same spot in life. Acts chapter nine, verse 10, this man's name is Ananias. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. I'm, that's so clear, I'm surprised that God didn't say, hey listen, I missed his birthday in September. It's the seventh and this and this. Would you take him a little gift bag for me? I mean, it's so clear and detailed, right? Go here, his this, this person's house and this. It wasn't a question, right? Ananias wasn't wondering where to go. That wasn't the problem. The problem was, what if I do go? Let's keep reading. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, like your child. Hey, would you go take the trash out? I don't want to. But Lord, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem, and he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. Word had gone out. The church email list had gone out. Somebody went to somebody's house, to somebody's house, and said, stay home. There's a really dangerous man coming. Get in your house. Mm-mm. Today, the word doesn't go out. God had different plans. Ananias was home, Ananias knew full well, and Ananias said, I'll stay right here because I could what? I could die. The man is not only, this is not hypothetical, this is not theoretical, this is factual. He has papers that when I say I'm a believer, he can arrest me, take me to Jerusalem, and murder me. You and I face those things every day, right? Maybe not like full murder, but maybe personality murder. Maybe, maybe it looks like we're weak because we have to allow people to, we keep giving. Or maybe this perception happens because of this and this and this and this and you and I are up against it, right? And every day when we think we have the answer, God says, no, here's the answer. And Ananias finds the same thing. This is what God says. Go. Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as to the people of Israel and I will show him much, how much more he must suffer for my name's sake. What doesn't he say to Ananias? He doesn't say, don't worry buddy, I got you. He doesn't say, hey buddy, listen, you know me, you know how it works. 
No, you know what he says? This is so much bigger than you. You wanna be a part of this? You wanna be a part of something that matters? Here's what I need you to do. Ananias, who you are, how long you've worked at your job, how, how well your kids behave, how well they call you blessed, how well, how well, how well, it matters nothing. There's one thing about your life, Ananias, that matters, and it's who's living inside of your heart. And that's the only message I need you to take anywhere, anytime, because the contentment to accept the unknown is only possible through Jesus. It's the only message we have worth taking. Because that message is a message not of how hard we've worked, how good we've done. It's a message of, man, I don't know, but I was dead. Not literally dead, but spiritually dead. I was unable to resuscitate myself. And I was dead by my very nature, by my very will, by my very attitude. But God, who was so rich in love and mercy, that he raised me to life with Christ. So I have nothing to offer but this story of Jesus. And that's the only thing we have worth taking and that's the only thing that gets us out there. So Ananias, this isn't about you, it's about who's in you. And it isn't about guilt because you haven't done anything, it's about hey man, today's your day to do something that matters, not for you but for the kingdom of God. So Ananias went, verse 17. He found Saul, because how could you not? He laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because he could have said, because I'm not just some guy, but by the power of God and the resurrection of Jesus, I'm an ambassador, literally going and taking the gospel and allowing God to be a conduit through him. The Holy Spirit is imparted to Saul, and the world is never the same. Because yes, you and I have a choice every day but see, this guy in this like crazy ironic twist, the guy who went and laid his hands on Saul was filling, was a part of the ushering in of the Holy Spirit in his life. And as a result, that man, Paul, would write, hey, to live is Christ. If I'm gonna live, it's for Jesus, but to die is gain. Paul wrote about the attitude Ananias had and going and putting his hands on him. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and the whole entirety of the New Testament was written. And everything I'm telling you right now, because you just, we're just doing life, right? We're just doing what we do. This is just life. This is Father's Day. You were probably stressed. You probably were upset because you couldn't call your dad collect anymore because it's almost impossible to do that. Right, you have to think about this. You, maybe if you're home doing stressful gift things to surprise dad. It's just Sunday and tomorrow's just gonna be Monday. But I'm asking you, are you ready for a life that's different than what you're living and actually full of the purpose you were created and intended to, if that's the case, it can happen right now. 
And is it going to happen through more work and effort and desire? You all want it enough. You're all good enough. You all work hard enough, right? It's doing the opposite of what the world tells us because Jesus modeled it. Here's what it is. The book of Philippians chapter 2. Paul, the man who was persecuting and killing Christians who Ananias put his life on the line to pray for, wrote this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, what Jesus did for us is what we will never have to do. He not only modeled it, in his full obedience, he was sent to death. In our full obedience, we will be giving life and life more abundantly. So we can do everything Jesus had to do. Everything Jesus didn't have to do, he willingly did, but not have to suffer the death he suffered. And still, as a payment for his death, we get life and life more abundantly. But not when we live life on our terms. Not when we think we have the plan. No. It's our next step. It's one. This is what each one of us can do. Not tomorrow, right now. And see how the relationships, the, the encounters in our life change. Begin to see the future as an opportunity to further God's kingdom rather than yours. That takes a step. It's not trying harder. It's not. It's changing the way we see things. That's it. I found a psalm, Psalm 131. I've been, I've been in this too. You know, we're all in this, right? We're all just living. It's just Monday tomorrow. It's just Tuesday, and we're living. And there's just, there has to be a purpose and a meaning greater than our own end, our own fulfillment. There's nothing more dissatisfying than trying to please ourselves. How do we do it? How do we get an attitude of contentment? I've been memorizing this psalm, and I know, preacher talking about Bible memory, ooh. But this is short, it's easy, and I think you'll see that because you and I are the common denominator in every single one of our bad decisions, it's not a world problem. It's a you and me problem. And it's not a me versus you problem or you versus me. It's just a me and it's just a you. So I challenge you to, to memorize this psalm. Maybe you have already and I bet your life is different. Psalm 131. Lord, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. 
I don't concern myself with matters too great or too awesome for me to grasp. Instead, I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child who no longer cries for its mother's milk. Yes, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, put your hope in the Lord now and always. And if I was to put the Jesse version, I'd say, O Magnolia, put your hope in the Lord. This isn't an agenda thing. This isn't a I believe this and you believe this. This isn't a, this isn't a, this isn't something to, to emphasize for a month of our lives. This is a way to live that supersedes, transcends anything the world has to offer. And it's not doing more. It's understanding that we mean so much less than we think and that we need to walk through life and say, I don't know. There's a whole lot of things in this world I'll never understand. But here's what I know. I was dead and not because of anything I did, but because of the gift of someone who was so much better than me, I'm alive. I didn't earn it. I didn't deserve it but I'm alive and I care about you because he cared about me. And I want you to know that whatever happens today in our relationship and whatever you say, however you feel, I get it. And if I die today, I die. And if I live today, I live in it. Either way, it's all Christ. Because the contentment to accept the unknown is only possible through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are great and good and wonderful and you offer such a simple way to live our lives and we pray that you would forgive us for the ways that we decide we can do it better. We want to be used. We want to do something. Give us the contentment that comes through Christ. Give us the perspective and the vision to see that we must further your kingdom and not our own. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.